Hello. Good morning. Well, good morning. It's good to be here today in the house of the Lord. Amen. What a blessing it is to have the freedom to worship together. Right. Um, so this morning, we're going to talk about, I titled this Strategies in the New Land, and then it was late last night. It was one of those situations where I was into the night, because um, I think I looked at probably, oh, I don't know, 10 chapters <laughs> in the book of Joshua, and, uh, you know, it's like, it's, it's sometimes it's difficult to pare down, and you really, it's so easy to get cut off on just there's so much but to not lose your focus of what the Lord you know originally put on your heart to share and so I went to bed and I thought I I don't want that to be the title but that's the title <laughs> but it, it's a good title and and I think um, you know when I started a, a working outline I think on Friday my outline is a complete Mess. Nobody would ever be able to decide to discern or to even make anything of it. But when I started, that was what I entitled my working outline. And so I just went with what I had because I was lacking creativity last night. <laughs> you know those moments? And so um, I know that the Lord is on this. I know that this is something that he has spoken um, for me to pursue, but also to impart and to uh, really um, encourage for us for where we are in this new season because we goodness we've 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 talked so much about breakthrough and I believe that the Lord has brought us into this new season you know this new season of intercession um, where he's called us to a very precise and strategic kind of of prayer yes the foundation of it is our commune with the Lord but I believe that his grace is truly upon our intercession it's upon our spiritual languages. It's upon um, our time. He's being very strategic when we pray and how we do it. And I'm talking corporately, you know, from a prophetic standpoint. I'm not talking about your individual prayer with the Lord on a daily basis. But he's really drawing us into a deeper place to be able to see, to be able to hear what he's saying to his church. Um, and really with the anointing, I believe, to understand, to be able to discern between the darkness and the light, to be able to discern where God has us, where he is sending us in a really a more um, precise way, if I could say. And my prayer for us has been that we would truly step into a greater, just a perceptive insight as we as we walk in the spirit that that like Issachar we would know what to do and you know like David when he he was called to come and play prophetically for Saul that we would know I mean that was an instrument that was a prophetic sound but we would know that sound that would bring light or would bring Tob to that evil, to that raw. And I'm also praying that we would receive from the angelic with clarity and with understanding of vision and direction 
as we pray, like Daniel. And I'm praying that we would be pioneers, that we would not settle, that our passion would be stirred, and that we, you know, like Isaiah, you know, like I talked about on the Marco Polo, that we would truly be driven with passion to pursue the new, that we wouldn't be stale, but that we would be continuously moving forward in our intercession and our diversities of tongues and and we know that is the breakthrough into the new right and so um i've really been praying about this for the for for me and for all of us for this body for this network and beyond that that as we pray that we would grasp and that we would be in instant obedience. And I say that because um, a couple of weeks ago, I think it was on first Saturday, as I was praying, I just kept, the Lord just kept giving me these snippets of vision of exploits, particularly, I think the most prevalent one was of Joshua when he went in to take Jericho. And... Um, You know, when Joshua led the people across the river and into Canaan or into the, the beginning of the promised land, um, it was nothing like what he was expecting as far as the strategy. And God is just so creative. And so God was just giving me these snippets of, of I guess, um, you know, sometimes you see in the spirit, but you don't see, it's not in the natural, so you can't really describe it, but you know it's the spirit. And so it was like him showing me ways that he is going to take us into the darkness as light, but in very creative ways that just kind of boggle our mind, that are not really the way that we would have envisioned that we would do it. Because you know God, we know how to do it. We've been doing it for, for, for a long, long time. And I just really, my prayer is that our, every part of us would be um, exposed. We're going to talk a little bit about circumcision because I think that's a big part of this. But that, that part of our heart and our spirit would be exposed so that, that when, when the Lord leads us, however it is, there's not a question of how it looks or how foolish it is or anything, how impossible it looks, that we, that we have instant obedience, that we move. And I, I really do believe that that is a strategy. I mean, I believe that that is the way that the Lord is moving because when I think about Joshua, when I think, you know, history repeats itself, and we can learn from the Old Testament. And even though we are not out there with, um, what are some of the things that they use in war? Well, no, no, I mean now. <laughs> Guns and, you know, you know, we're not out there like actually in the natural. F Thank you. <laughs> Tanks and all that. Our battle is spiritual. And, and we are called to be warring sons. And it just baffles me that I'm even talking about this because this is just not something normally that I focus on. But this is where God has me from a prophetic standpoint because... All that to say this, 
God's judgment is going to come to the earth. Do we believe that? Just like it did in Jericho. It, it is going to happen. And you know, his judgment is the visitation of his will. That's, that's, that's his judgment is the visitation of his will. And he grants that spirit of judgment and burning to his, warf, his warring sons. So we are going to be carrying that spirit of judgment and burning, that, that judgment as we go. And, I mean, thankfully, we're not having to see whole cities burn like Jericho. But maybe we will. I, I don't know. Yeah. But I, I just feel like the Lord wants us to be prepared to, to step into whatever it is. And so that's really what this is all about. Um, and I just ask for the grace to be able to just navigate through this because in a lot of ways I feel like this is going to be more of a discussion but at the same time I want to be able to get across the prophetic things that the Lord has put on my heart so we're going to start with um, what I, I put the Joshua anointing and that was another thing I was like I don't want to I don't want to use that phrase <laughs> because I feel like these phrases have been used for so long that they just become cliche cliche you know what I mean and people write books about them which is great and then they become conferences and then they become just something in the momentum of a time frame and I, I and a notch in the belt and so I, I really hesitated using that but last night I literally was lacking creativity and so that's where we that's that's I didn't have a better term because it is an anointing I mean, we're going to talk about the Ruah. It is an anointing that he had. And so I am really speaking this forth um, prophetically. Uh, you know, you don't, you don't really gain authority until you've lived it. And, and you can't impart unless you've lived it. And, I mean, I just feel like that is just something that the Lord is is really stepping us into is the impartation of this anointing. So what is that? Well, there's two passages I pulled. One is Deuteronomy 34, 9. And it says, And Joshua the son of Nun was full of the spirit of wisdom, and that is the Ruah of wisdom. For Moses had laid his hands upon him, and the children of Israel hearkened unto him, as did the Lord commanded Moses. One of the things I love about Joshua is that he was teachable. You know, we talk about Elijah and Elisha. We talk about Saul and David. We talk about the generations. We talk about the generations running together, and I fully wholeheartedly believe that is what God has ordained for this hour. It is, it is absolutely, and I'm so thankful for the younger generation that's come up alongside and just the relationship that God is building from generation to generation, and I know that that is true, and that is the way he intended us to move. But you find so often in the writings of Joshua, his he defers to Moses, always, as the Lord commanded Moses, as the Lord showed, as the Lord spoke to Moses. And I think that there's something there that is really significant. Um, we follow a leader, and. Um, I'm so thankful for him. So when I think about Joshua, and I think about the commander of our army, we need to pray that our leader, our commander, of course, 
the Lord of Hosts is our old. I mean, is our. I could say he's our general. The Lord of Hosts is the commander. But we need to be praying that our general has the spirit of wisdom. And I know that God has imparted that. But I'm just. I'm just. I'm just asking the Lord for just a greater dimension, a heightened dimension, a greater, I can say, impartation of this divine wisdom. God exists through his wisdom, and he extends that wisdom. He manifests that into his sons in order that we can partner with him in the dominion of the earth. Is that what we are here for? So we have to have we have to have this measure of wisdom in order to really bring the resolution of the raw and establish the tobe, establish righteousness on the earth. And, and yes, is that something that we can all move in? Yes, we all are going to be leading teams and, and going into the darkness and doing those kinds of things. When you go in the marketplace, there's all kinds of ways that the Lord can use you. But from the top down, we need um, we need to be full of the spirit, the rule of wisdom, okay? Because that is our calling, is to t- take that light into the darkness and establish righteousness throughout the earth. And then Numbers 27, 18, verses 21, verses, eight, I'm sorry, 27, 18 through 21. And the Lord spoke unto Moses, take thee, Joshua, the son of Nun, the son of Nun, a man whom is the spirit, whom is a man in whom is the spirit, and lay thine hand upon him, and set him before Eleazar the priest, and before all the congregation, and give him a charge in their sight. And this is so important too, you know, when we're moving in warfare, authority structure is so crucial. And so when we're told to move, we gotta move. We can't question. You know what I mean? And so I I know that I'm just revisiting a lot of things that have already been taught, but I'm just freshly bringing it from a prophetic perspective. And thou shalt put some of thine honor upon him, and all the congregation of the children of Israel may be obedient. And he shall stand before Eleazar the priest, who shall ask counsel for him after the judgment of Urim, 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 (laughs) before the Lord, Yahweh. At his word shall they go out, and at his word shall they come in, both he and all of the children of Israel with him, even all the congregation. So that's pretty, it's pretty hard language, right? At his word, they move. They go in, they come out. So what is his word? His word is the plan of God. Because he's moving in the Ruah, which I think, did I give you the definition of that? I think I might have pulled that out of line upon line, but um, if not, we know it's the breath of the spirit, the idea of the heart, the individuality of God. It is the seven spirits, his character, his personality, the spirit of judgment and burning, grace and supplication. While it is usually mentioned as the spirit of Yahweh or the spirit of Elohim, it, is, it also speaks of the spirit that resides within us. And remember just a couple of weeks ago, there was a message that spoke about that spirit that resides within it. That spirit is in you. And so as that spirit of God is in you, he can take you anywhere he desires to take you. And when that spirit, when the Ruah of God comes upon a person, 
There's an anointing that is activated or imparted to represent the very person of God. That is what is in you. And so he calls you to a special mission or assignment or us as a people, maybe in intercession, maybe this Wednesday. And he gives us a very precise directive. And then he anoints us with his spirit that is within us. He activates that within us where we are representing him before the throne or in intercession in whatever way that he has for us to pray during that time. So this is what was upon Joshua, um, both that spirit of, of wisdom and the, the Ruah, which the spirit of wisdom is the Ruah of wisdom. And so, you know, we, we've been moving in this. When I talk about um, just strategic directive that comes through the command from the Lord from the throne I mean we we've we've applied this we have manifested this in cities all over this world we have taken it into the darkness in different nations we've gone into churches we've ministered to people in this way here you know, you think about what we did uh, several years ago regarding abortion. That was this. God anointed us when we got there or in, in the process to represent him on behalf of, of that particular ruling. What happened on the back parking lot a couple weeks ago? That was real. That was a directive that God gave to our leader to address something that was wicked with the tobe. And we, we, nobody questioned well, <laughs> maybe after the fact, there was a little confusion about whether or not it was the city or whether it was God. But why would we even question that? We, we move instantly, and we do what the Lord commands us to do. And so we believe that, um, that the Lord moves as we do that. Amen? Amen? So one of the other things that is very um, really prevalent with Joshua is faith. And, you know, Abraham is the, the king of faith or the, the, the father of faith. But you, if you read through the accounts of Joshua and the conquest and the preparation for conquest, um, you constantly see the Lord speaking to him and really speaking those things that are not as though they are. And I want the Lord to speak to me that way. Right? I want to move in that kind of faith. And, and you think about Jericho, and we'll get there in a minute. Joshua had never fought a battle like that. And you, we're talking about a fortified city. And, I mean, they had spears. They had slingshots. How do you take down a wall with slingshots? <laughs> you know what I mean? And so, um, but the Lord said, this is what, this is what I am going to do as you represent me in, in instant obedience and in perfect obedience and, do, and, and guide the people to do, do what I'm calling them to do. And it looked ridiculous, right? Actually, it seemed kind of fun to me, but for, for, for all practical purposes, it looked pretty um, ridiculous. And so um, it's not for the faint of heart. So um, anyway... So let's look at Joshua 1.3, because when we talk about, you call those things that be not as though they are, 
this to me is um, really a declaration of that where the Lord said every place the sole of your feet shall tread upon that I have given to you as I said unto Moses so let's look a little bit at what this means um, this really was the possession of the promise that God was given to them I'm going to take you into the promised land I'm going to give you the land you're going to divide it up amongst the tribes and live happily ever after um, no I know <laughs> you're going to fight the big guys you're going to have to defeat the enemy you're going to have to drive yeah you're going to have to drive out the evil and there was so much evil so many <coughs> evil gods and so anyway this was their inheritance and he told them going in as he told Moses every place the sole of your foot treads but let's just talk about the sole of the foot and the treading because this is really in so many ways covenant language with Yahweh with the plan of God because if you look at the word darak which trust me it, it means to tread it means to walk and for me over the last six months I have I think just about read every passage in scripture that talks about walking because I knew God had a word for me <laughs> and maybe this is it but so there's there's several words in the Old Testament and the New Testament that speak of walking but this word literally means to tread to walk and then um, basically what it is it's our spiritual journey with Yahweh okay um, and on our spiritual journey with Yahweh our success well let me just say it will always find its source and orientation in reference to our relationship with Yahweh um, because God is a God of covenant and this is a covenant that he has given to us and so every single human whether we're righteous or wicked we have the capacity to either fail or succeed um, dependent on upon our relationship and our obedience to Yahweh and to his plan that's a no-brainer um, and the outcome really lies in how we identify ourselves with Yahweh as saints which is what we are and the success or the failure of our journey is determined by our obedience to the covenant stipulations that govern our spiritual itinerary don't you love that sentence <laughs> but that's true so our treading our walking is our obedience to the path that God lays before us on our spiritual journey on this sojourn that we're on and thankfully we're on it together but we all have our individual journey that we're on with the Lord right but as a company, as an army, as the, um, the body of saints, we're on this spiritual path, and it is destined by and through our relationship and our obedience to God's plan. God's plan trumps everything, period. And so he says, every place the sole of your foot shall tread upon. So in the midst of that covenant plan and our relationship and obedience to Yahweh, we have dominion it's the only way you know I, I mean there's plaques you know you you read this passage like all over the place and I know I've quoted it a thousand times in my life well God said every place the sole of our feet shall tread so if he tells me to go to France and go to a new city and I tread 
I'm going to take dominion over that place, you know, for him. And that is true. But I have to be in ultimate covenant and the ultimate covenant relationship and obedience to the plan of God. Period. And then the sole of the foot, this is a very familiar understanding for us. It means the hollow hand or palm. Also the paw of an animal, which I love. Because <laughs> our, our dogs, you know, and our, our little critters. Um, and then it, it references the, the leaves of the palm tree and some other things. But we know that the hand itself speaks of that miraculous power of God as we partner with him to create something from nothing, right? Nothingness is a framework for a miracle. And so the palm of the hand represents that. And the palm of the hand in Hebrews translated as cap. And that word literally translates as to bow down oneself in total obedience and submission. So we have dominion when we follow our destiny in the plan of Yahweh in a, in a posture of bowing down in total obedience and submission to him, okay? That is the measure of dominion and in our inheritance. That is what is it rooted in. It is rooted in total submission and obedience to him and his plan, okay? So we need to remember that with each step as we stand, extend ourselves in submission and in obedience, it's really the beginning of extraordinary measures of creativity and the miraculous. And I just feel like, I just, I just know that's where we are. And so I had never, you know, parsed out that passage before, and I have a better understanding of really what he's saying there. And I'm thankful for that, because God is, I mean, like I said, I mean, he's serious about his plan. And no matter what it looks like to man, <laughs> it's the only way for us. So, amen. Amen. So, let's, let's look at Joshua 1, 5 through 8. And this is um, really the Lord speaking over Joshua or to Joshua, his covenant. There shall not any man be able to stand before thee all the days of your life. As I was with Moses, so I will be with thee. I will not fail thee nor forsake thee. Be strong and of good courage, for unto thy people shalt thou divide for an inheritance the land which I swear unto their fathers to give to them. Only be thou strong and very courageous, that thou mayest observe to do according to all the law which Moses my servant commanded thee. And we've, we've studied all these words, so we're not going to revisit any of that. But that's pretty epic. Turn not from it to the right hand or to the left that thou mayest prosper with, with, whithersoever thou goest. This book of the law shall not depart out of your mouth, but thou shalt meditate thereon day and night, that thou mayest observe to do according to all that is written therein, for then thou shalt make thy way prosperous, and then thou shalt have good success. So what is it speaking of? It's speaking about his law, but for us it's his word. And he, he directs our path in wisdom by his spirit through the revelation of his word, right? Is that fair? And so we cannot turn from the left or the right so that we may prosper. And this word for prosper, I had studied this a couple months ago because I was doing a lot of different studies about understanding and just in my pursuit of inter, in, in, inter, interpretation. 
And it's a word sakal, and it means to understand, to be circumspect, and to be wise. And so our prosperity, our success, comes in our, 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 our focus of his word and the manifestation of his plan in submission and absolute obedience. And as that manifests, we are circumspect and wise. It, it means the knowledge of the reason. Whereas, like the, word, the understanding word for Ben, which is the other strong understanding word, is being able to, s- to distinguish between the good and evil. This is understanding the reason why, which is just another level. It's like a deeper level. And sometimes we won't, but we know the why, and that is it's his plan, right, ultimately. And so we have to stay so focused on the word and on the, the message of what God is bringing and, because therein lies our directives. Through that comes everything right I mean through our intercession our intercession fuels the revelation of the mystery the mystery comes forth and then his divine plan is the revelation for us to move forward we've lived this so I'm not saying anything that's that that you guys don't know and so we want to be prosperous we want to be sakal we want to understand and we want to be prosperous and have good success. Amen? Amen. Okay. So the first thing he did before they even crossed over the river, Jordan, it was a time when, when, when the Lord was beginning to prepare them to mobilize, prepare the people, sanctify themselves. And he said, we're into Joshua 2.1, and he said, And Joshua the son of Nun sent out of Shittim two men to spy secretly, saying, Go and view the land, even Jericho. Now, this word for view is ra, and it's our familiar, it's our familiar, it's a familiar understanding for us. It means to discern something spiritual for the purpose of judging good and evil, or to interpret the counsel of God concerning such judgment. Are we dwelling in evil? When you turn on the news in the morning, do you just cringe? (laughs) Right? God is really wanting us to view the land, to raw the land, to be able to not only to discern rightly, but to interpret his counsel concerning the judgment for which he wants to bring. Now, judgment and burning is not a bad thing. But I do know, as in this company of, of Israelites, God, we're going to carry that judgment. And, and we have to make sure that we are rawing rightly, right? And that, that you know, with, without vision, per- people perish. And I know I'm stretching this, but that's the first thing that he did. He said, you go out and you raw all the land, and you come back and tell us what you've discerned. And that was crucial because they needed vision, right, to go into the land. And so I'm also praying this for us, that we would have a heightened measure of this, of this ra'ah um, to look forward into the new um, and have that spiritual perspective and the counsel of God concerning how we approach it, how we address it what it looks, you know, how, what he would have us to do in the midst of it. 
because you know you can walk into a dark room and flip the light on I mean that's your natural response but it's not always going to be that easy if only it was like if there was a big light switch in every nation <laughs> well you know we'd, we'd get off the plane and we'd walk out of the out, you know that, that first minute moment when you get out of the airport and you walk into a city for the first time and you're like you know there's always like a your, your discerners literally like sometimes it happens when you land but if there was just a big light switch right there that you just flip on that would be great digress so that's the first thing that he did was he sent them out to view to see and the spies came back you know we the whole rehab uh, rehab <laughs> you can tell where I've been for the last six months <laughs> um, the Rahab the whole Rahab story God bless her the harlot and uh, and then the report from the spies came back and said so the two men returned and descended from the mountain and passed over and came to Joshua the son of Nun and told all those things that befell him. And they said to Joshua, Truly the Lord has delivered into our hands all the land, even all the inhabitants of the country do faint because of us. Now, if you don't think this was like a huge push of momentum and courage for them, the whole land faints. Uh, their hearts are melted. There's so many different ways that they describe. And why was that? It was because God had parted the sea. And all those Egyptians, you know, perished in the midst of that. Now, that's huge, right? But they took note of that, which they rightfully should have. And, and that, that brought a lot of, you know, this great um, momentum. And so now comes time for them to cross the Jordan. And the preparation for that is... Um, I don't think I gave you an extended passage, but the first thing that, that Joshua led them to do was to sanctify themselves. This is so important, too. Um, you know, sanctification, we're saints, so we understand the principle of what the saint is, but sanctification is consecration, and it's really where, from the inside out, from the, the, the core of who you are, you wholly devote yourself to God. You wholly devote yourself to the plan of God, to who he is, from the inside out. It is consecration from the inside out. And this is so important for us in our humanity that we stay in that process of sanctification because as we go out into the world, as we read the media, as we are exposed to evil from day to day, from moment to moment, we have to be sanctified from in the innermost place of our being. And, and because really that is, the, you know, such a weapon for us not to be affected by what we see and what we hear, right? And, and, and I believe that, that that sanctification is something that we carry as we're filled with the spirit, the saintly wind that we carry into places and into ungodly atmospheres, and, and those atmospheres change because of what we carry, right? So sanctification was, was really important that they did this before they crossed the Jordan. And so then Joshua 3, 9 through 13. Um, and Joshua said unto the children of Israel, Come hither and hear the words of Yahweh your God. And Joshua said, Hereby you should know that the living God is among you. He will without fail drive out from before you the Canaanites, the 
and all the ites. Behold, the Ark of the Covenant of all the earth passes over before you into the Jordan. Now, therefore, take 12 men out of the tribes of Israel, out of every tribe a man, and it shall come to pass as soon as the soles of the, of your, of the feet of the priests that bear the ark of the Lord, the, the Lord of all the earth shall rest in the waters of the Jordan, and the waters of the Jordan shall be cut off from the waters that come down from above, and they shall stand upon a heap. So God parted the waters of the Jordan so two million people could cross over, approximately. And this was a great moment for them. Lots of momentum. The enemy feared the Lord. They feared his armies. The Red Sea, the news of the Red Sea had spread, and now the news of the Jordan. The waters being parted also had spread. And, and really, for, from, a, from a human perspective and from, from somebody like Joshua, it was the time. They, they had the momentum to go and just kick booty and take names. You know, it, you know, for him, that it was the time. And so they crossed over, and then Joshua 4.19, and the people came up out of the Jordan the 10th day of the first month, and they encamped at Gilgal. And they took the 12 stones, which is also pretty prophetic, but we're not going to go there because of time. And Joshua pitched in Gilgal. So the Lord crossed them over. Their first stop was Gilgal. Was, which, which um, was very, very much a prophetic place for them, um, both in way of ministering with the angelic, but also it was, it was their military stronghold from which they would be sent forth out of. And so you would think that they would just keep the momentum and that they would just go on and God would lead them into Jericho and they would do what they had crossed over to do and they would just keep moving in the momentum, but God said, nope. There's some spiritual business that needs to be taken care of. Um, and the first of that was circumcision. Now, to me, this is just really prophetic because, we, you know, we've talked about circumcision of the heart. Um, and, and it's something that's, that's really important for us as saints. But it's not a one-time all. <laughs> and, and, and I feel like we have come to a place, and, and really this came out when I was speaking to the French people the other day, um, so the Lord just like spoke it that we are we've come to this place where we are is a place where the Lord is wanting our hearts to be circumcised and and so what what exactly does that mean well Gilgal we know is the circle it means the wheel right and we know that the wheel depicts that creative cycle of God the way that his seven spirits moves and really the restoration into what God originally intended okay And so at this point for, for them, God was wanting to restore the, peop the purpose of the people. They had wandered in the wilderness for 40 years. They had been disobedient. We know that story. And it was time for the Lord. The Lord wanted them to be restored into their intended purpose and, and for what he had called them for in, in the covenant. And so circumcision... in the natural or in this day was the, the cutting away of the foreskin. They used a circular motion, which is very prophetic. But you think about the place of the cutting away is that place of creativity. 
It's the place of creative expression. It's the place of, of, of um, I don't know how to describe it. You know what I'm talking about. Yeah, no need. yeah thank you. Okay. <laughs> and, and, and this was necessary for them, and, and it's necessary for us, because what it does is it, it exposes our heart. It, it causes our heart to be sensitive again. And, and you know, to the first love of, of why we're here and what we're doing and, and who he is. And at the core of, of who we are and our relationship with the Lord, it, it, it exposes that place. And it really is necessary at every point of transition going into the new. We have to look at that circumcision and we have to submit ourselves to that in a place where he's perfecting us, where he's developing us, where he's calling us to submission and obedience, our hearts have to be addressed. And I, and I just, I, I really feel like in this cycle of change, in this season, you know, we live by seasons in the Lord, and I just feel like in this season, that is something that he is calling us to afresh. And so I just want to encourage you, submit yourself to that, and, and let him just cut, cut away and, and bring you to a place um, just in, in, in your pursuit of his heart and what is on his heart and his heart is what we're talking about so are we good? good so we know that, that Gilgal became the military base that was God's intention of their operation and it was the encampment of the warring angels during angels during that time of conquest, and um, yeah, so that was the establishment of Gilgal. Now the Lord did say that He was, and we'll go just to piggyback on the circumcision thing. He said He's going to ro He rolled away the reproach. And what is reproach? Reproach is an expression of rebuke or disapproval. It is a cause or occasion to blame, to discredit, or to disgrace, or to scorn, to censor. And, and so when I, when I say I feel like this is a moment where he's wanting us as a body to be circumcised, our heart to be circumcised, you guys, once and for all, we got to let that stuff go. Whatever's in our heart where we've been scorned, where we've been disgraced, where we felt that disgrace, where we felt that reproach because of our stance before the Lord. It's time for us to let that go. Let the Lord just cut that away because it's just necessary going into the new. We can't take that stuff in, a, in with us, okay? It's like the leaven. And so that's the first thing. The second thing that he required of them is that they keep the Passover, Three things, circumcision, Passover, and then eat the fruit. Did I even read that passage? I'm so sorry. Oh, I read the one about circumcision. So Joshua 5, 10, and 11, And the children of Israel encamped in Gilgal and kept the Passover in the 14th day of the month. And they did eat the old corn of the land in the morrow after the Passover, unleavened cakes, parched corn, the selfsame day. So why would they need to take Passover? Well, we talked earlier about being vessels of God's judgment, right? 
And when we think about Passover, Passover, I'm not going to go into the depth of what the actual word means, but um, it speaks of the elements God used to free his people and the actual passing that had to be done in how he did it. Because we know to deliver them out of Egypt, the, the angel of death came, which the Lord references was Yahweh, passed over. If the blood, the sprinkling of the blood was on the doorpost, he would pass over with his judgment and they would, they would be saved. Otherwise, the firstborn would be killed. And so Passover, it really represents threefold things. And this I took out of one of Pastor's books. The deliverance of the children of God, the execution of judgment, of his judgment to the gods, and the protection for the people of God who execute judgment. And so for us, what is, why, why take Passover right now? Why take Passover at this juncture? Well, we are covenant representatives of the Lord. We are carrying his judgment. And it's important that we come before him in communion, right? And, and this is how we can celebrate Passover. We don't do the traditional Jewish thing, but we take communion. We do the Holy Communion, the Feast of Unleavened Bread, which is the cracker, the bread that we take, which is that fresh directive from the Father with no leaven in it. And in that word is empowered by the blood and the sprinkling of the blood that is applied to us. And so, it's so to me, it's just so important that we acknowledge communion in this hour because, first of all, we don't want to be the, the lump of leaven, the stale, the old. The, we don't want to bring that stuff in to the new. So we acknowledge that when we take that bread, that unleavened bread, and we take that bread and, and we recognize that it is his fresh word of directive. And then the sprinkling of the blood when we take the cup is the sprinkling upon, the Bible says our evil conscience, but those places that need to be addressed. And so that's why it's important. <laughs> There's other reasons, but I have to keep going, right? <clears throat> yeah, and then they eat the fruit of the land. And this is interesting to me because I think this is also very important for us. The Bible says, and they did eat the fruit of the corn of the land on the morrow, the Passover, the unleavened cakes. Now, this is the first food they had had in over 40 years. They'd been eating manna for 40 years. And why did God do that? I mean, did God want to show them the abundance of what they were stepping into? Sure, of course. And, 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 and once they tasted that, knowing they were going into a land of milk and honey, that was a foretaste of the blessings that were to come for him. That can give some momentum to somebody that's about to go into battle, right? Um, and so I just ask you, what, are the, what, what is our fruit? You know, we talk about our inheritance. What is our fruit right now? What would that be for you? What, how could you partake of the fruit, the fruitfulness for which we know that God has given to us and, and allow that to be pleasant and, 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 and to sustain us and to feed us in this moment, to encourage us. I think, I think just thinking back over the last month or so, the book of remembrance, that's so important for us that we, we call to remembrance the things that God has done and we dwell in his presence. To me, the fruit of all the intercession and, and our devotion to him is his presence. His presence, I'm telling you, my prayer life has changed over these last couple of months since we've started easing into this season. 
And I do not walk into that sanctuary. And I, dear Lord, surely tomorrow I'm going to walk in. I'm going to be in the right center of the wilderness. <laughs> but, I mean, honestly, I step right into the presence of God. It has been unbelievable. The presence has been with us. Now, his presence is always with us. But there's been just a tangible manifestation of his presence to me in intercession. And I know that's his grace for this hour for us. And so I also think about the fast of feasting. We're in the month, right? Right? That's another way that we, we, we acknowledge the fruit that we have. We feast on the tobe. The koinonia of the saints. I mean, the koinonia that I have with each one of you, the communion, the community that we have is so precious. And it's just getting even more precious to me. And I know that this seminar is going to be just really amazing because I think that atmosphere is going to be here because of these three things, you know, that, that, that we are actually acknowledging. We've been in this Book of Remembrance. We've been acknowledging the koinonia is the communion. It is the Passover. And then as we present ourselves to be circumcised. So celebrate the fruitfulness. Okay? Yes, sir. So how does that give you enough nutrients to become fierce warriors? It's not in bread. That is so true. And so the miracle of the manna was that there was also all of the other things that a body needs to make it strong, not just bread. Yeah. So it was likened to itself, not like any other thing that we've ever seen or have ever eaten because everything that was needed was right there for their health. Wow. That's a good point. I hadn't thought about that. Yeah. See, Les knows this. I, you know what I'd be saying? Where's my protein? <laughs> <laughs> and the quail would have descended from the sky. <laughs> exactly. I'd have been having, because I'm always like, I need protein. <laughs> yeah. But that, yeah, that, that's a good point. But, I mean, you think about the bread and the wine. I mean, that, his body is, is all we need. His body and his blood. Anybody else? I've just been rambling. All right, so we have 10 minutes to go into. <laughs> we're going to just talk about, well, we're going to talk about um, Jericho. And then if we get to AI, we'll talk about that for a minute. Totally different circumstance, but nonetheless, very, very strategic. So, it was time for conquest. And, you know, the spies reported that, let's just talk about Jericho for a minute. They said, there, the, when, when they reported about the city that, in Deuteronomy 128, that it was large and the walls were up to the sky. That was their perspective. Yeah. Yeah. And, and Joshua just never led an attack like this before on a, on a fortified city. And so there's questions about the armaments. They didn't have all those sophisticated weapons that were sending to the Ukraine. Um, they had slings, arrows, spears, 
which were like straws against the walls of Jericho. So how is this going to work? <laughs> um, but Joshua knew that that battle had to be won because um, logistically, Jericho, when they crossed over, they went to Gilgal, they, they had to get up into the hill country, right? I think I have a... Let me just read this real quick. Canaan was based on geographical factors. From the camp at Gilgal near the Jordan River, the Israelites could see steep hills to the west. Jericho controlled the way of ascent into these mountains, and Ai, another fortress, stood at the head of the ascent. If the Israelites were to capture the hill country, they must certainly take Jericho and Ai. This would put them on the top of the hill country and in control of the central ridge, having driven a wedge between the northern and southern sections of Canaan. Israel could then engage the armies of the south in battle, followed by a more remote en enemy in the north. But first, Jericho had to fall. They couldn't get anywhere until they took Jericho. And it would if Joshua and the people followed the Lord's plan of action. So God's plan was, of course, you, you've got to take Jericho. And then Ai was at the base of the ascent, so they had to take Ai too. But Jericho was, was, was big. And so, but it was God's plan. So we know God's plan is the only way. And, um, and so the Lord visited Joshua. I love this. Let's look at Joshua 5, 13 through 15. And it came to pass when Joshua was at, was at Jericho that he lifted up his eyes and looked and behold, a man stood opposite him with his sword drawn in his hand. And Joshua went to him and said to him, are you for us or for our adversaries? So he said, no, but as commander of the army of the Lord, I have now come. God is so good. <laughs> and Joshua fell on his face to the earth and worshiped and said to him, What does my Lord say to his servant? And the commander of the Lord's army said to Joshua, Take your sandal off your foot, for the place where you stand is holy. And I love that, too, because we talked about sanctification. It's holy. It doesn't, I mean, they were really in enemy territory where evil gods ruled. I mean, when you look at archaeological studies, it justifies the judgment of the Lord just demolishing that fortified city. There was so much evil in that city. And, and yet, so, so here they are, and the Lord said, take your sandals off because I have sanctified this sisteme for you. This will be your launch point. That's just how good God is. This is our histemi, and it is sanctified. And we should all take our sandals off and say, Lord, where I stand is holy ground, right? It is sanctified, and it's holy. And so the angel which appeared to Joshua, the commander of the Lord of hosts, perhaps the Lord Jesus Christ himself, came to battle with Joshua. And, and I actually, you know, I just love that because I've really been sensing just... You know, we've heard testimony over the course of years how, how high-ranking angels have come to pastor and, and communed with him, spoken to him, given him specific directives. That's real, guys. That's not his imagination. That is real. They came to this place or the place where he was praying. And, and, and Am I right? And, and so I, I just feel such a heightened measure of that coming. We need that. And we need the encouragement to know that, you know, if Jesus said 12 legions of angels are ready to defend me, God's army is huge, right? 
And he showed himself, his army, over and over through the Old Testament with Elisha and in different circumstances. I believe that we are called, we are, we are stepping into just a heightened measure of ministry with those angels. And I believe that, Pastor, I just speak this over you prophetically, that, that your senses would be heightened and that you would be in a, in a, in a position to receive them and, and to fully hear clearly what they are directing for us. We need this, guys. And that we, as the army, would be ready to move instantly at that command. And, and so uh, God is just that good. You know, this battle was in the natural. And so when I read through the battles through the Old Testament, I, I don't have a grid for warfare very much. I'm just learning. But this battle was spiritual. Everything about it was spiritual. The first conquest in the promised land was spiritual. You think about how he did it, right? Joshua 6, 1 through 5. Now Jericho was straightly shut up because the children of Israel, none went out and none came out. Now why was this? This was because Jericho was filled with terror because of the advancing Israelites. And so they had literally surrounded the place with their military force. And the Lord said unto Joshua, See, I have given unto thine hand Jericho and the king thereof and the mighty men of valor, calling those things that be not as though they are. And they were going to be, right? And verse 3, And you shall compass the city, all ye men of war, and go round about the city. Thou shalt do it six times, and seven priests shall bear before the ark seven trumpets with ram's horns and a seven day. And the seventh day you shall compass the city seven times, and the priest shall blow the trumpets. And it shall come to pass that when they make a long blast with the ram's horn, and you hear the sound of the trumpet, all the people shall shout with great shout, and the wall of the city shall fall flat, and the people shall ascend up every man straight before him. So every part of this is spiritual. Seven represents completion, the perfection of God's ways. His plan is perfect, period. And there's also significance of the trumpets, but we don't have time to go there. And so there had been no fortress that's ever been conquered in this way. And, and for them, it was a test of their faith, right? They probably were thinking, what? Because these were military men. I mean, we're going to do what? And I'm sure that they, so, so you know their, their faith was tested, but they said, yes, sir, we're going to do this, and we're going to do it the way God says to do it, that instant obedience. But do you have to know that they were ridiculed and that they were put in danger, right? Um, and their faith truly, like, rose above their fear that the enemy would come out and attack them. And they triumphed over that ridicule. They triumphed uh, over the scorn. And, I mean, that's just so historic. Mark, I had never thought about this, but there was at least a million men around Jericho. Uh, there had to be. Yeah. I know. I know, it's crazy, right? I, I never thought, I never pictured that before. It, the, whole, the whole story is just unbelievable. Yeah. But, but it happened. Yeah. It's true. And so the Lord told them that you destroy everything. Everything is accursed, and this word for accursed means everything is utterly destroyed, devoted wholly. And the, okay, I'm, I'm jumping ahead here. Let's look at Joshua 6.17. <laughs>
Okay, I'm going to read this last passage and then Joshua, beginning with 617, and the city shall be accursed. This word for accursed is the word harem, and it's a really interesting study. I didn't go into great depth, but it, it's really like the first fruits of judgment. God said it's accursed, and everything in there has to be taken, it has to be destroyed. And, and it's really like um, the root of it means to be devoted to religi religious use, uses, but it means utter destruction. So it's just interesting that the Lord used this because it was important to him that they were obedient in this. And so beginning in well, verse 17, and the city shall be accursed, even it and all that are therein to, to Yahweh, only Rahab shall live, she and that is in her house. And ye in any wise keep yourselves from the accursed thing, lest ye make yourselves accursed, and you take the accursed thing, and make the camp of Israel a curse and trouble it. But all the silver, gold, vessels of brass and iron, they're consecrated, they're sanctified unto Yahweh, and they shall come into the treasury of Yahweh. And they utterly destroyed all that was in the city, both men, women, young and old, ox, sheep, ass, with the edge of the sword, except Rahab and her family. I think I added that. And they burnt the city with fire, and all that was therein, only the silver and gold and the vessels of brass of iron, they put into the treasury of the house of the Lord. So it was super important to the Lord that they were obedient, that they, they, that they utterly destroyed everything except for those elements that were to be um, sanctified and put into the treasury of the Lord. Have you, have you, it's interesting to me because this is their first conquest, uh -huh. right? Have you looked at anything about uh, the city of Jericho itself? I read some archaeological things last night. but Well, I had never done that, but I just clicked on it says that it was a city that was abounding in balsam, honey, cypress, roses, and other fragrant products. I bet that was a nice offering. Well, it says it was, it says that it was, <laughs> oh, the Lord. it was uh, near the north shore of the Dead Sea. Um, and so I think about, you know, it's, it's always easier to destroy something that's evil and vile but you know, as you're approaching this beautiful place, it's on the north shore of the sea. There's roses everywhere. There's all this fragrant aroma and beauty. Um, yeah. You know, and, and, and that's what they went in to destroy. And, and, and I mean, it was very idolatrous, obviously, and, and wicked. But uh, it was just interesting to me that it was such a, a place that was renowned for its, its wonderful fragrance and flowers and honey. And yeah, but, but the Lord said, you're gonna, this is a land that's going to be flowing with milk and honey. Right. Well, I just joked about this, but I mean, don't you know that sacrifice was pleasing to the Lord? Oh, my gosh, yes. Yeah. So, so they, and, and, and it really was, I mean, the, the best way I can describe this particular word for accursed is it is like a first fruits of God's judgment. And it was necessary for them at that point that they offered that to the Lord. But there was, there was one that didn't. Aiken, and we know the story, but just I'm going to have to just paraphrase through the rest of this. He took some stuff, and he hid it underground in his tent. So when it was time to go out for AI, they sent the men out, and they had some defeat. They lost like 36 men because it was just chaos. I mean, they went up. I, I don't really understand exactly how it happened, but they went up, and then they turned around and the enemy just started chasing him and then they were running away from the enemy and like 36 guys got hit. And so that was devastating. And it, it caused Joshua to, to really 
I don't want to say it questioned God, but to think that, you know, Lord, what is happening here? I mean, we are here to stand on behalf of your great name, to represent your great name. And, and our momentum and our name is going to be wiped out because of this defeat. I mean, he just went to that place. And, you know, I know we felt that before. I mean, what about, because we represent the name of the Lord. We, that, that's, that's all we care about is that we, we represent him and his plan, and we do it exactly according to the way he's ordained us to do it. We don't miss anything. But there's moments where we feel such defeat if we look in the natural. And, and so he goes to God. He rents his clothes. He gets on his face before the Lord. And he's like, why, Lord? You know, and he has this conversation with God. And I love God's response because God says pretty sternly, I think, get thee up. Why are you lying on your face? <laughs> Israel has sinned. And so that one guy's sin plagued the whole nation. And, and they have transgressed my covenant. That's how important obedience is. And he made them cast lots, which I still don't understand how that works. But drawing straws. Drawing straws to determine who actually did it. I mean, that seems a little witchcrafty, but okay. And, but anyway, that, that's the way they did it back then. You'd think they'd have a fivefold or something, right? <laughs> and, and so they found that it was Achan. And so they addressed it as God told them to address it. You go, you, you address him, and then you stone him and burn him, all his family. And Boy, Achan. Living back in the old tea, yeah. Off. Yeah. And, and at that point, judgment was fulfilled, and then God's favor was restored, and then they went on and they took AI, they took the king, they hung him to a tree, and, and so all was well. But I guess the point that I want to make is. You know, Achan was one guy that, that was disobedient to God's plan. And God is serious about his plan. If God tells us to do something, as little as fasting, something, and fasting is not small, I'm just saying as opposed to going out and taking a walled city. You know, if God tells us as a people that we need to do this, if there's one man that says, no, I don't think God told me to do that. God will remove him. Now, thankfully, well, there's grace, and, and I'm thankful for the grace. And, and I believe that if Achan had come and, and repented, confessed and repented, perhaps God's grace, his forgiveness would have been there, and he would have been preserved in his whole family. But he didn't do that. He had to be found out. And so his grace is certainly there, that way. But God, God wants us to be a sanctified remnant, and, and, and that remnant... That's, that, 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 that sanctification as saints is, is what I said earlier. It is, it is committing our whole being to God from our innermost place. I mean, our whole being, allowing him to, to purge and to, you know, to address, to chasten, to however he wants to do it in each one of us so that we are sanctified before him. So that we don't have a tendency in our in, in humanity, in our iniquity, to say, no, I don't think, they, you guys go ahead and do that, but I think I'm going to stay behind. And that's, you know, thankfully he's not going to stone and burn us, but he will allow, he will remove. And Achan was one of their own. 
You know, they called him a son. And was he Joshua's son? Because it, it references him. Joshua references him as son, but I don't know, and it doesn't really matter. I'm just saying we're all sons. And um, we just need to allow, we need to allow the Lord to, we need to be sanctified. And like I said, it's not a one and done all. It, it's a lifestyle. And it's necessary for us as we go forth into these evil atmospheres to not be swayed, to, to, to stay in the word, to not turn to the left and the right, to allow him to circumcise our hearts, to be in communion, to, to be in the book of remembrance, to remember the fruit and to, to really focus on that. And um, yeah, so we're in a good place. And I know this was a lot and I really thought this was gonna be a discussion. I just kind of controlled the whole thing and I'm sorry. But, um, does anybody have a comment? I do. I think, you know, you, you said this already, but it just, you know, thankfully we're not under the, uh, the law, but we're under grace. I want to be grateful for that. Because I know if we weren't, I'd, be, I'd probably be burned and buried. Stoned. Right. <laughs> so my whole point is, you know, learning how to follow and, Hear, hear the voice is, is one aspect, but following through in absolute obedience, that, that's the key. Yeah. And, and not, it, you know, there's instances, you know, I've been reading, you know, studying about Saul and Samuel and how they related to one another. But Saul made some mistakes. I mean, he did. He, um, <clears throat> he didn't wait long enough and he took matters into his own hands and he didn't uh, make supplication, um, which is the key, and he and we know the result of that. So the obedience is the main thing. Is <clears throat> hear my voice. Do what I tell you. Nothing more, nothing less. If I say move, move. If I say wait, you wait. Um, it's, it's, it's really, it's simple, but yet it's hard. <laughs> it is hard, Mara. Um, <clears throat> On a day-to-day -day basis, it's hard. Mm -hmm. But obedience is, is the key. And, and him not... You know, the thing with Achan was God specifically said, do this, don't do this. Mm -hmm. And if we can learn to follow, know that he's got our best interest in mind, um, we're, we're going to be in, we're going to be in a good, good place. But it's when we try to think, uh, you know, maybe this will work out better if we, if we do this. Mm -hmm. We're following that same pattern and the results that happen are going to be uh, devastating. I don't think any of us are going to be stoned, but um, it's just really, it just solidifies again the importance of don't try to help God out. <laughs> he, can, he, can, he can do his job. We need to do our job. And that's hear and obey what he tell, tells us to do. You know, and I, and that's good. I think about our, you know, who we are. And I think about us going into the sanctuary, and there's few of us. And, and if I look at it from my own perspective, I think, Lord, what are you doing? And, and over the course of 20-something years, we've, we've watched people walk away. And yes, some of it was just their own will. You know, whatever. And, and that's fine. We bless them. But I do know, I know that there's some that got removed. I do. And, and it's hard to take. I mean, it still feels like rejection. It still feels like we've been abandoned. It still feels like, what the heck? Why? And, and we, have, we have labored over those emotional, just the emotions of all of that 
trying to understand why. Mm -hmm. we'll you know, see. was it something that we did, or how did, how could we have done different or better? But I know now that the Lord removed them, so that they they're not stoned and burnt. Now, whatever is happening, that, that's not our business. Mm -hmm. Our business is to carry the judgment to places and and to where He calls us to do that. Yeah, and I was just going to piggyback off that, no pun intended. But I mean, with Samuel, Samuel struggled with that even after the Lord directed. When you think about, I mean, we, I know we talked about this, but all the investment of time and prayer and working alongside a, a person that was called by God to be a king and to go through all this, everything that they encountered together and then get to the point where he had to address the Samuel, or, or excuse me, Saul not waiting, and then after all that happens, Samuel was mourning too long, and, and Yahweh comes to him and says, Samuel, why? how long are you going to continue to mourn? I refuse, Saul. Let's get ready. It's time to anoint the next person to carry on the mission. Yeah. Even, Sam, even Samuel struggled with it. I mean, he's just like us. Yeah. And so when I read those verses, I think, you know, when we get to the point where we're like that, you know, the Lord's telling us, uh, you know, hey, let's move. I'm, I know this was tough, but you're, you've been in this too long. It's time to move forward. And which God's always pushing us to move forward. Yeah, which is exactly the point <laughs> of some of the things that we talked about. I feel like now is the time. We don't look back. Yeah. we got to let go of that stuff. And, and the reproach has been rolled away, and, and we, we don't look back. We go forward and know that that... If we are free, we know the armies of the Lord are with us. And oh, yeah. Far more than we have. We really are. Anybody else? Yeah. I was just thinking about the wall around the city. Um, I think that um, I think the walls were like wide enough to like drive the chariots on. I don't know if that was the same for Jericho, yeah. but I, I know that some of the walls were like that. I believe so, yes. Um, so for this to be their first conquest, they really had to trust the Lord to know that those walls were going to come down. Can you imagine? With their <laughs> artillery that they had then, you know, it seemed impossible. So, you know, their trust really had to be in what Yahweh was saying and it was going to happen. Didn't Rahab live up there or didn't she? she? Thank you, Monica. Does anyone know 